God's word in Luke chapter 15 talks about God being a searcher of lost things. So I invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 15 as we look in the, in the word together. Uh, the Bible says that good news from a far land is like a cup of cold water. Uh, and so I hope that today, as you hear from the missionary, visiting missionary, hope that it's like a cup of cold water for you. Sometimes good news from a far place can be encouraging like that, and I hope it is today. Luke chapter 15, uh, verses 8 through 10, reading in Jesus' name. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. Notice that this text starts with this picture uh, of searching carefully. Jesus says to us, suppose one of you. Suppose one of you. Why do you bring me into it, Jesus? I'm just listening here. Well, he, he wants you to imagine yourself as the one who lost the thing. He says, suppose one of you. He wants you to feel for just a moment, that ew, yucky feeling of losing something important. Have you ever felt that way? I'm trying to think of maybe my most important thing, maybe this. What if I lost this? Uh-oh, I'd look everywhere, right? Or maybe, maybe you've lost these before. Your car keys, right? Don't want to lose that. That's expensive to replace these days, isn't it? But Jesus starts off the parable saying, suppose you lost something. You see, when we put it in our terms, we understand that something valuable is worth looking for. And God, in this passage, talks about how he feels when he's lost sinners and when he wants to find them again. He has this heart that's like, I'm not going to stop looking until I find that lost thing, that lost person. Of course, here we're talking about coins, we're talking about sheep, but I think we understand God's not looking for those. He's looking for human hearts, human souls. Some who are lost are very lost, aren't they? <laughs> not found until this careful sweeping of the house, not found until uh, leaving the other sheep in the open field. 
You know, and I wonder how lost are some people. They're so lost, they haven't maybe even been to a church in 20 years more or more, right? And yet those are the ones God is looking for. He's looking for the people that everybody would have expected was too far gone. That's actually kind of his specialty, I guess you could say. God loves looking for the lost. Notice how he looks for them, though. Um, this bit about the, the, the leaving the sheep in the open field, I think that's not an accident that it says that. You only leave your sheep in the open field if it's got to be now, right? If I was the shepherd and I had time on my side, I'd take the sheep to the pen, and then I'd go look. Or I'd find a replacement shepherd, and then I'd go look. But this shepherd doesn't do that. He leaves the sheep where they are in the open country, and he's going, now, I'm going to look for that sheep. I'm going to find it. There's an urgency there. And why? Why is there urgency uh, to find the lost sheep? Well, let's think about that. What happens if we don't find the sheep? Ooh, something will find the sheep, won't it? Maybe a wolf, maybe a lion. It's going to find that sheep, coyote maybe around here. It's going to eat that sheep for dinner. That's why there's an urgency. It can't wait until nightfall and the next day the sheep might be toast by then. So we see there's a little urgency here. The woman, she has the same urgency. It says until she finds it, she's going to look. She's searching carefully. She's lighting the lamp. What happens if the coin isn't found? Maybe she's thinking about that as she's looking. What happens to this coin? This precious coin of mine. You know, I only have 10. Imagine your entire savings account, 10% of it is gone. I'm looking for it. I'm going to find it. But what happens if I don't find it? You know, that's maybe in the back of her mind. Somebody's going to find it and somebody's going to get my money and be a lot richer now, you know? That would be terrible. So she's telling her friends, she's telling them, everybody, hey, look for the coin, it's gone. Uh, if you find it, it's mine. Uh, but she's got some urgency. Jude chapter 1, the Bible says, Be merciful on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. The way God's word talks about the lost, it's like a man stumbling towards the fire. He's a blind man. He doesn't even see there's a fire there. He's walking right for it. And the Bible says, save that man. Snatch him away from the fire. Keep him from destroying himself. I think about a lot of people who are stuck in cycles of addiction and trauma and pain. They are like that man. They are stumbling towards their own demise. They don't even realize they're on the way. They need help. That help needs to be urgent. That's why it says, be merciful on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Time is not on our side. It's not. It's sadly not. The enemy of your soul is working overtime to make sure you fall into the fire. The enemy of the souls of everyone is working overtime to make sure they don't realize they're on their way. John chapter 9, verse 4 says this. This is Jesus. He says, while it is day, 
we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And I believe that that's true. This is the time, right now is the time where people can turn to God and be saved. But that time is going to come to an end and the night is coming when the sheep are going to be devoured, when it's too late to find the coin. And that's why the shepherd looks with such urgency. I think we can understand, being a men of harvest that you are, understand the importance of getting that harvest in, right? These things are timely. So the first thing about the searching and the way that God searches for us is he searches with urgency and with great care. The second thing I think we would learn from this passage here in Luke is that searching comes with abandon. Notice the shepherd makes a calculated risk. He leaves the sheep in the open country and he goes looking. Calculated risk. Uh, the woman lights the lamp, right? How much money is she spending on the oil in the lamp? Well, these days, lamp oil is like $5 a gallon at Walmart. Not a big investment. But at that time, every single minute that that lamp is burning is money out of my pocket. I'm spending my money to look for my money. And she's made a calculated risk that maybe I can find it and that money will be well spent. Do, is anyone here in the service or a veteran of the armed forces? Maybe raise your hand if you are. Calculated risk. I have the utmost respect for veterans because you know what they, they said? They made a, a risk and they said, the safety of my loved ones and my country is worth more to me than my own personal safety. Calculated risk. They took that chance that maybe I won't come home, but it's worth it because... My folks are going to be safe. Jesus did not just risk his life and limb. He didn't just make a risk assessment and say, okay, well, I'm going to maybe risk this amount. He went to the cross fully knowing it was going to be his life and limb. He would lose everything to find us. Jesus gave his life for you and me. John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13 says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Very next verse, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. Jesus has given everything to find you. And on the, on the cross, he proved the extent of his love for you and me. And he invites us into this kind of love, this kind of radical love. He says, you know, love one another as I have loved you. Okay, wait a second, Jesus. It was kind of nice until you put it that way. You mean you want me to lay down my life for other people who are not deserving? Yeah. The type of love that Jesus has for us is this whatever-it-takes kind of love. And I wonder what it is today that holds us back from showing that same kind of love. There's actually a little snippet in this that I find quite curious. What is it that, answering the question, what is it that holds us back from that kind of love? Look at the woman again. 
Notice it says that she told her friends to come together. They already knew she was lost the coin. They already knew she was missing it. There's something there. It's called social capital. She has spent it with her friends. She's told all of her friends, I lost my coin. How embarrassing, right? Ladies, you don't want to tell your friends you lost something that means they might think of you as a loser of your things, right? But she spent that social credit so that she could hopefully find that coin. I wonder if one of the things holding us back today from showing the Jesus kind of love is social capital. What are people going to think if they know I'm a Christian? What are people going to think if they start feeling all loved by me? I don't know if I like that. What are people going to think if I start living out my Christian faith? And I wonder if that might be one of those things. I'm sure there's others. But this kind of love that Jesus shows, it's this love of great abandon. It's, it's whatever it takes. And I'm so glad he came looking for me in that way. The last thing here today, so we have the abandon, we have this urgency. The last thing here, I think, is that Jesus invites us to rejoice with him. Notice that in both of these uh, little parables, he says, rejoice with me. And uh, that's, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Let's have a party. I found my sheep. Let's have a party. Or uh, found the coin. Let's have a party. Found the coin. Woohoo! Um, the next, if you have your Bible open, you might even have noticed the next thing in down from this is uh, the uh, parable of the lost son, right? How does that story end? The lost son's been gone. He's been living a party lifestyle. Comes home. The father sees him a long ways off, gives him a big hug. Then what's next? Let's have a party. You know, let's kill the big fat cow and we're going to have a big steak dinner and we're going to have a party. (laughs) Do you realize how God is? He is looking at that guy who's never been to church in 20 years and he's just like, you're back! Party time! We're going to have a big party because you're back! I just, I'm so glad you're back. That's God's attitude about lost people. He wants them back. He's waiting for them to come back, and when they're back, he's so happy. It's party time. I want to have that same joy in my heart when I see people turning their lives to Jesus. Amen? You want to have that same joy? That when people come back to Jesus, you're just, yeah, finally. (laughs) Hallelujah. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angel over one sinner who repents. And we are invited into that celebration. Jesus invites us to give a holy hurrah when people are coming back to him. I hope it would never be said of us that when somebody comes back to church after being gone a long time, that we'd look at them sideways. I hope that would never be said of us. But instead, I hope that we'd have that same heart of Jesus that says, I'm so glad you're here. So glad you're finding the hope of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
and he committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is our message. The gospel is your message. And the world needs it. There's lost coins in Deschler, lost sheep in Deschler, in Hebron, in all these areas. They're waiting to be found. And when they are, it is certainly party time. That's the good news. I'm, I'm, I was here to tell you that and to share this passage with you. But I, I want to invite you into the celebration of the party time uh, that's happening because of what's happening overseas. Um, I run a ministry called They Need the Bible. I just want to tell you a story about Bhutan. Bhutan is this little country, and it's uh, in the Himalayas of the, you know, Mount Everest, you know, kind of close to there. Really small country the size of Rhode Island, or plus a little bit, super small. And in this country, there is a people group called the Zalaka. The Zalaka are like 15,000 of them in the whole world. They live up in the mountains. They raise yaks. They milk the yaks. They sell the fur. They drink the milk. That's their life. There has never been a Bible in Zalaka ever. This language that the people speak, it's never been written never been translated a Bible for. And because of this ministry, I was on the internet working, looking for the Zalaka. And one day I met this man named Mr. Doji. He's an archer. And I said, hi, Mr. Doji. He said, hi. Well, are you Zalaka? Yes, I am. And I speak this language. I grew up here in the eastern uh, Eastern Bhutan, and so he speaks English, and we got to know each other. Turns out he's like a semi-pro archer, and uh, almost like Olympic-level archer. So I was like, wow, that's really cool. Um, what can you tell me? Tell me more about your people. Well, you know, this and this and this, and this is a little bit about our language, and this is what I do every day. I, I pray this prayer every day. What's the prayer? I pour out water into seven bowls and I pray, God, I want, to, uh, I want to pour out my love on the world like this. And I pour these seven bowls of water until they're overfilled. Oh, that's interesting. Who's God? Who's this God you pray to? Well, I don't really know too much. My ancestors say he's the spirit, but the Buddhist people say his name's Buddha. Oh, okay. So I got to know him a little more. I got to understand what his belief is. And I said, well, Mr. Doji, I'm so glad to know you. I want to tell you something about this God. He loves you that same way. To pour the cup full until it's over full, that's God's love for you. In fact, the Bible says he so loved the world, he sent his son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Mr. Doji, could you help me say that in Zalaka? Yeah, I can. So he wrote it down. We took that little scrap of paper and we took that and we broadcasted that on YouTube. We broadcasted that on Facebook. And we now have the first verse 
in this little language in the, the mountains of Bhutan. And that was God's way of saying, hey, look, you know what? I found you. You might have been the lost sheep way off in the mountains somewhere, but I know who you are, Mr. Doji, and I love you. And you know what? That is just like the most fun I've had ever. And so I invite your church to pray for our ministry. Uh, we're fully funded. I'm not actually here to ask for more money, but I am here to ask for your prayer and for your, um, and as you pray, that you pray specifically for timely prayer requests. We, we send out uh, newsletters. Uh, and so if you want to pray, don't just pray generally. I, I ask that you write your name on our clipboard so you can pray specifically about these people groups. So this Bhutan guy, he, uh, he said, I really like that, that God who loves the world. Can I tell, introduce you to my sister? She speaks uh, Dakpa. Okay, so we inter introduced to the sister, and then we translated John 3.16 for Dakpa. And then we're over in Indonesia, and we share with a guy there. He's like, wow, this is really cool. So he introduced us to 10 people groups in Indonesia. And then we had somebody in Laos, and he introduced us to three people groups in Laos. We've actually translated now John 3.16 for 20 uh, people groups now. And I just want to invite you to celebrate that with us today. There is a party going on in heaven for every single person who turns their life to Jesus and, 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 and is found by him. When he finds that lost sheep, he's just so excited. So I'm, I'm really happy to uh, be a missionary uh, on kind of on behalf of this church to those uh, lost people. And thanks for praying. And uh, we serve a God who is in the finding business. Doesn't matter how lost we've been. Uh, I'm so glad that he's found us and that he brought us near to him. Let's thank him for that. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you did in Bhutan and, and in all of these countries, Lord. Bringing people home to you. Lord, I thank you that that door is always open right now and that you're standing there looking for us. Maybe even those who are in our extended family, our workplaces, our, our community, God, who have never been to church or just not, not close to you at all, I thank you, Lord, that you rejoice when, that, when they come home to you. I pray, Lord, you'd give us hearts that match yours, that match your joy that match your urgency, hearts that will match your commitment. And Lord, please give us that love that you loved us first with, that we would have that love to share with this world. Thank you, God, for this time. Thank you for teaching us from your word. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.